You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And if you're new to the show, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. Even though we are primarily discussing episode nine of the first season, we will be discussing it in the context of the entire season. So if you have not seen the first 10 episodes, beware that there are spoilers ahead. And we are discussing episode nine, Unconscious Selection. And the stuff really picks up again in the last two episodes of the season. Not that a lot of stuff hadn't been happening already, but like it's it's a race through the finish line here. Yeah, the pace really picks up in the last two episodes. It It's like it goes back to kind of the pace of episodes two and three, when stuff is just coming at you so quickly, you're like, what? What is happening? What? <laughs> and then I've got to watch it again. But yeah, it's it's just like this this ride and you just kind of have to get pulled along in it. And so it was actually kind of a challenge for me to take notes on this episode because I made myself do it while I was watching because I mean, I knew if I didn't do it, I would just get sucked in and I wouldn't remember all of the details. So it took me about t- two hours to watch the episode because I kept pausing to make notes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds totally justified to me. <laughs> So this is a big episode for Sarah. She's kind of been on the back burner a little bit more in the the middle part of the season when we've gotten more storylines with Allison and Kasima. She still had some good, some prominent storylines, but she's been featured less heavily. But she has so much going on in this episode. Right. And starting off with the thing that we didn't talk about last episode, because we didn't want to until there was resolution. Poor Kira gets hit by a car, and everybody is horrified. It's terrible. It is terrible. Oh my goodness. It's so terrible when it happens. It just, oh, it, it wrecked me when I saw it originally. I was just like, why? Why did they do that to Kira? It wrecks me every time I see it. I mean, I'm, I'm better at holding in the reaction now, <laughs> and especially knowing that things will be okay. But yeah, the first time you see it, especially, it's, it's pretty devastating. It's upsetting imagery anyway, but... Mm-hmm. But they take her to the hospital, and besides the fact that pretty much everybody is making me cry in those hospital scenes, Sarah's making me cry, Allison's making me cry, Felix is making me cry, just everybody is... is The acting is really good, and everybody's so upset. And we learn that, miraculously, Kira is okay. And this is where we start to get the sense that... Kira might be special in a way we hadn't really imagined prior to this. Right. I mean, that line that Mrs. S had about, you know, you have no idea how special she is, sort of takes on a new meaning after you've seen this scene. Not that we, I mean, obviously, we don't know that Mrs. S knows about this, but but maybe she does. Who knows? Everything mm-hmm. is called into question in the last two episodes of the season. Right. Right. And because Kira heals so so quickly, this is what makes us wonder, because we've we've talked about this previously, especially in the clone science episode, if Sarah and by extension Helena, since they're twins, might not have sort of advanced healing abilities as well. And of course, if that's true, then what does that mean for Helena? But we won't get into that now because that doesn't happen this episode. But yes, I think... One of the main plot points that happens because of Kira getting hit by a car and being in the hospital, it really solidifies the bond between the clones, I'd say, because we we see Allison at the hospital and 
she's talking to Felix. And, and here's really where we see Allison and Felix starting to really, really bond. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we knew before that they were sort of unexpectedly close, since Allison showed up to his loft when she couldn't go home, or felt like she couldn't go home. But yeah, Felix offers up a place for her to stay. And Wait, But I think the main point we see from Allison in the hospital is where she's trying to help and not really being able to help. And Felix is trying to talk to her about it. And Allison says, I can't help but feel like it's my daughter in there. And then we see, you know, last episode, Sarah and Kasima had kind of a significant argument. They hang up on each other. Uh, but here we see there's sort of a thaw in the the rift between them because of Kira, it seems like. Somehow Kasima found out, either Sarah told her or something like that, and we see them talking about it, where Sarah has the great line, Kasima, Kira's not a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> so even though they were fighting, they were able to at least talk about the fact that something bad happened to Kira, she's okay. But obviously Sarah's still a little frosty toward Kasima in regards to Delphine. Right. My headcanon is that Allison called her and let her know. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that seems like something Allison would do. Right. And I mean, she got sent home, essentially. So, so yeah, I'm thinking that's what she did before she started cleaning Felix's apartment, is she she called Cosima to let her know. Or maybe that's what she was doing when she walked back into the waiting room at the beginning of that scene. Right. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'm going to go with that, that Allison called her. It makes sense to me. Everybody else is too freaked out to call or to think to call. Right. And well, and none of them, I guess only Felix would have known besides, I mean, clearly Sarah's too distraught. Mrs. S doesn't know Kasima. And yeah, so Alice makes sense. Right. So Sarah has four pretty big, significant confrontations with people in this episode. And her first is, well, maybe not her first, but one of the bigger ones is with Leaky, where Paul tells her, you know, Leaky knows who you are, and Sarah decides to go ahead and hear him out. And we get a, some some information about, a little bit of information about the experiment, and a bit more information about the Prolethians. Perhaps one of the bigger reveals of that scene is that he says he's in charge of data collection and quantifies the clone's well-being. Because we didn't really know what his position was in the organization before. And I, I suppose, to be fair, we don't quite know where he is in the grander scheme of things still. But it's a more specific idea than we've gotten mm -hmm. thus far. Right. But at the same, you know, at the same time, I don't think we can really trust Leaky as a knowledgeable, or I shouldn't say knowledgeable, but a trustworthy source of information, because we see him lie to the clones very easily. So while I, I think he, he seems to be telling the truth in regards to his role in the experiment, I, I have questions about what he says in regards to Maggie Chen, because the way that he phrases it is that Maggie Chen was an agent of the Prolethians and she infiltrated the Diet Institute, the clone experiment, however you want to call it. But when Helena talked about Maggie back in episode four, she made it sound like Maggie was a scientist and through her connection with the clone experiment, experiment, she sort of came to find God or something like that and kind of converted to the Prolethian cause. Right. Which explains why before when we were talking about the Prolethians, I was confused about Maggie Chen 
And now I remember why. <laughs> yes, because we get conflicting information from Leaky and then from Helena. But neither one of them, I think, are trustworthy sources. Because Leaky could be lying. Helena might just not know. She might just be saying the information she has. Right. So I, I don't know which is actually correct. Yeah. Because, of course, either way, it makes it, it leads to them being the victim or benefactor for Maggie's actions, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I have to say, I was really struck on this rewatch how overwhelmed Leaky seems to be when he sees Sarah for the first time. It's almost like he gets he gets very emotional. It's almost like something catches in his throat when he says, hello, Sarah. Right. I'd noticed that before, but it it is something that always seems really significant. And we'd kind of seen a version of it before with Olivier, except that Olivier's was much creepier. And uh, Leaky's still kind of creepy, though, the way that he reaches out to touch her. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm not saying it's not creepy, but... Less creepy, yeah. All the other information about Olivier makes Olivier in general way creepier. That's fair. You know, Leaky's is more of a vaguely paternal creepiness. I guess, in my mind. Anyway. So during the confrontation with Leaky, he asks Sarah to help bring Helena in and turn them over to the Diet Institute so that they can deprogram her and rehabilitate her. And I don't know, do you do you buy what Leaky is saying? Do you think that's actually their intention toward Helena? I'm I'm of the mind that they probably wouldn't really they probably wouldn't kill her because they spent a lot of money creating these clones right they are valuable to them but i don't know if that's all they would do would just be to program her and i don't know what is your sense about it i'm with you i mean i i don't know that i trust i don't know that i specifically trust what he's saying but i do agree that it's likely that he wouldn't do anything anything so drastic as you know killing her well i guess there's the the exchange that sarah has with kasima kasima says something about how they have a vested interest in their well-being doesn't right. she Be because they they are their experiments so why wouldn't they care about them mm -hmm. and i mean that's true kasima of course has ulterior motives for saying that but the point still stands i think to to some extent that they do have a vested interest in them. So, of course, they also have a vested interest in stopping Helena because Helena's killing them off. So, right. Of course, if they do manage to either, well, rather than deprogram, I suppose they could reprogram her since. Against the Prolethians, maybe? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> presumably it's possible. Who knows? Everybody everybody has their own agenda here and we don't we aren't really privy to them at this point in time so I am suspicious right. of everyone except for the I clones. I think that's good. I think that's a good way to place to be in regards to Orphan Black. Yes. We really see Sarah struggle to decide whether to turn Helena over to Leaky and she has a kind of a significant arc in regards to where her loyalties lie and what she should do over the course of this episode because we see at the beginning where Mrs. S says something to the effect in regards to, to, to Kira. She says, count your blessings and move on to your worries. And in response to that, Sarah says, yeah, Helena's got to go. 
And the way that she says it just kind of makes my blood go cold. Like, ooh, yikes. Sarah's pissed. Well, understandably. Mm-hmm. Right. Because as far as Sarah knows, Helena pretty much almost got her kid killed. So. Right. But when she talks to Helena on the phone and, and we, and she hears in the background, Tomas knocking the phone out of her hand, I kind of wonder what Sarah thinks happened to Helena in that moment. Based on Sarah's face, I think Sarah thinks that crazy Helena is just being weird. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I thought, too. So it kind of, I mean, and maybe it's not that her earlier statement that, yeah, Helena's got to go necessarily contradicts this later one. But I do find it interesting that later on in the kitchen, when Mrs. S is encouraging her to sort of take care of Helena, she responds to her, you don't understand. I look at Helena and I see me. And I think that line really helps us as the audience understand perhaps some of Sarah's earlier actions toward Helena, like letting her go at the end of, of episode four. Right. But how does that exactly sit with her justified anger at thinking Helena caused Kira to get hit by a car? Perhaps it's the added benefit of little, little time in perspective. Perhaps. I forget, is, is Sarah saying that to Mrs. S? Is that before or after Kira tells her that it wasn't Helena's fault? I think it was after, but I'm not 100% sure. Well, then that would be part of it, too. Probably, yeah. Yeah, we really see Kira in this episode step up and defend Helena. She tells her mom that it wasn't Helena's fault that she got hit by the van. And Kira tries to tell Sarah that Helena just needs her help. Right. And then, of course, you're kind of like, well, how does Kira know that? I mean, I, I suppose there's enough to assume that. But the certainty with which Kira says it is somewhat surprising to me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, for sure, we see in at the end of episode seven, Kira really seems to understand that Helena's a troubled, broken person. So it could mean just that, that, you know, Helena's a sad person and she needs help. Mm -hmm. But from what we see of Kira in the next episode, where she's kind of presciently tells Mrs. S something bad's about to happen, I think it's early hints that, again, Kira's, Kira is special in ways we did not previously imagine. Quite the insightful kid. Indeed. Suspiciously so. Then we've got Sarah confronting Helena, and I don't know, the the whole Sarah and Helena thing, as always, is very complicated. Right, because she marches in to where Helena says she is, and puts a gun, she's, you know, Helena's in a cage, she's helpless, pretty much. And Sarah puts a gun to her head, and Helena just sits there and says, do it. But Sarah can't, again. She, this is the second time where Helena has basically said to her, has, you know, has showed up unarmed, has been really defenseless, and Sarah intends to shoot her, but she can't do it. And what really struck me this time about that scene is that when it starts off, Helena's kind of, she's got her hands in the wires of the cage and sort of presses her head up against it. And when Sarah doesn't immediately shoot, Helena actually puts her hands down, I noticed. As if really, really, it's sort of a um, 
gesture of supplication, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. It just, it really hit me this time watching it that it, like, I'd kind of noticed it, but the hands I don't think I'd noticed in previous viewings. Of course, there's the whole fact, I mean, as as far as Sarah not shooting her, I mean, she's literally locked in a cage. So I think that probably factors into Sarah's decision. I, I agree. And again, Sarah starts out the series kind of a kind of an anti-hero. She does some very questionable things. But again, I feel like the the show tries to demonstrate several times that Sarah's not a horrible person. This is not just something she does lightly, even though Helena might have in, has caused a lot of problems for her, has indirectly led to her daughter being hit by a car. She can't just go and shoot her, especially when she's so defenseless as we see her in this episode. Right. Sarah is actually a compassionate person. Mm-hmm. And then once Tomas enters the mix, I don't know that I fully, maybe, maybe I realized it before, but I'd forgotten, I guess. But I, we hear him try to start confusing Helena. He turns on the brainwash and there's a pretty great confrontation where, you know, Helena has Sarah saying one thing over here, Tomas saying one thing over here. And I noticed this time that Tomas starts parroting back to Helena what she said earlier about Kira. Hmm. Because when he, when Tomas is looking at the letter that Helena has from Kira, he says something like, if this is true, basically, why didn't you bring Kira to me or something like that? And Helena says, says she's an innocent, you know, and, and we hear Tomas say in this scene when Helena says, you know, you can't hurt her kid. Tomas is all, we would never harm her. She's an innocent. So I thought that was interesting that he, even though he was being seemingly very aggressive toward Kira earlier, or the idea of Kira earlier, when he's trying to win Helena back to his side, he starts using words that she said to him in defense of Kira. Interesting. The thing I noticed was that in that scene, he starts repeating the, you are the original, you are the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, brainwashing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate Tomas, but I find the scenes between Tomas and Helena so fascinating. Right. Fascinating in that really upsetting kind of way. Exactly. Yeah. And finally, even though there's the sort of battle between Sarah and Tomas over Helena, Helena finally just is like, you know what? You made me this horrible person and I'm sick of being this horrible person. And she freaking jumps on top of Tomas and tries to gouge his eyes out. She doesn't try. She does, I think, you know, a little bit. Yes, she does not fully gouge his eyes out, but she she gets some some hurt on him. Yes, it's and, Helena's turn to say F it. Yes, and <laughs> and it looks completely different from when Allison does it. And not completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but you know, and and Helena was holding the gun right before she gouges Tomas's eyes out. Sarah manages to take it away from her. But to me, it's like, I don't know that Helena would have used it anyway. It's like so personal between her and Tomas that a gun just won't do it for right. Helena. She has to get in there and just physically dominate him the way that he has physically dominated her. Literally every time I see that scene, my mind, like I hear the phrase in my mind, 
And then she leaps on him like a flying squirrel. <laughs> and I don't know why that's the thing that I think, but it's the thing that I always think. <laughs> right. Because I'm weird. But she does. She, like, flies at him, and it's awesome, quite frankly. Right. <laughs> right. But and it's interesting to think that Helena has gotten to this point during the course of the series from just being so completely programmed and against the other clones to attacking her creator in a way. And I, I really think it's because of her connection to Sarah and to Kira that, that gets her this to this point where she's able to kind of turn on the person who's been abusing her for so long. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm convinced it's Kira's hug, basically. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because she, Helena is just so wrecked by what happened to Kira at the beginning of this episode. It's just, she's clearly just torn up inside by what happened, even though it wasn't her fault. Not really. Right. I mean, after Sarah has the gun to her head, Sarah lets her out of the cage, and pretty much the first thing Helena does is go in for a hug. Yes, and says, I love you, to Sarah. Which seems vaguely odd. Mm-hmm. But then you think, well, it's Helena, and then it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then Sarah also has a confrontation with Art. And basically, it, it's sort of a weird scene. I guess I find it odd. They They meet in a lot, like an empty lot, in their cars, and do the whole, like, rolling down the window and talking to each other through their car windows thing. Mm-hmm. Which is very, uh, very espionage movie kind of thing, don't you think? Police officers do that all the time. I suppose. Like if you're if you're a patrol, cop, yeah, and you want to talk to another patrol co- cop car, that's how they pull their cars up next to each other. I thought that's it was true. actually very smart on Sarah's part to know how to do that because I don't know that I would necessarily have thought to do that, but Beth would have because Beth was a cop, and I don't know that necessarily Sarah was channeling Beth, but it was a very consistent with being Beth moment that she thought to pull her car up next to Art's window like that. Well, but we know Sarah has lots of experience with the cops. It's just not this kind of experience. (laughs) True. I'm just saying. (laughs) But yeah, last episode, I feel like we both had the question of why did Sarah even bother to go into the police station? And I feel kind of the same way in this episode. Why did she bother to really talk to Art? Because she doesn't do anything to really diffuse the situation. And and I don't know that she really could have. Yeah. Do you think it's just she's trying to maybe keep up with their investigation to know how close they're getting to her? I, what exactly do you think? Do you think that might be a motive? I do think that's part of it. Yeah. And then thinking about it further, she did seem to trust Art when Art was her partner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It is probably mostly to be able to keep track of all the players, since that seems to be something that Sarah is good with. Because at this point, Art hasn't gone to the train station and watched the video and figured out that Beth isn't who he thinks is Beth isn't Beth. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 and so a part of me wonders if Sarah had handled that confrontation differently, if maybe Art hadn't wouldn't have gotten to that place. But probably not, because he's just so in, in, intrigued by 
with this expanding number of women who look exactly like each other, I can't imagine he would just he would let it go for that easily. Right. But we do see him having a big argument with Angie about bringing Beth in for questioning. And I think he does make a good point. They don't really have anything on Beth. All they have is the fact that she looks like these women, her prints match these women's prints. But that doesn't really prove anything. It just is weird. Right. The thing of it is, you can understand why Angie is as suspicious as she is. Because Beth has been acting weird. Mm -hmm. And all this stuff is weird. And so it's sort of an interesting thing they did. Because I feel like Angie's really justified in all the things she's doing. And, you know, we were talking before about Angie being a good cop. Or, like, really being into being a cop. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things, like, the the stuff she says, and even the sort of vaguely accusatory remarks she makes towards Art, they're all true, right? <laughs> basically. So, you know, she, she's not wrong. Right. Especially, she, she points out, you know, why are you protecting Beth so much? Does she have something on you? And we, the audience, know that she does. She knows that Art put the cell phone in Maggie Chen's hand, helped her cover her up at the accidental shooting. But at the same time, I, I don't really get the sense that that's why Art is doing what he's doing. I do think he's actually trying to be protective of Beth. Mm-hmm. Is that your sense as well? I'm sure all that stuff is at play in Art's mind. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, I do think primarily he is concerned about Beth. Right. Because as we discussed before, he has reason to be. Mm-hmm. It's funny to me because it seems like as soon as his partner leaves, it feels like he gets really protective of her. <laughs> so at the end of the episode, after Art has figured out that Beth isn't really Beth, he comes back to the station and he finds out that Angie has sort of pulled the trigger early. He's, she's gone ahead and told their superior what they've figured out about all these women who look alike. And this is this moment where their superior officer says, you need to issue a warrant for Beth Childs. And then Mark Art has this dramatic moment where he gets to say, no, you need to issue that warrant for Sarah Manning. Do you think he would have revealed that bit of information to Angie and to a superior officer had he not been cornered like that? Or do you think he would have tried to meet with Beth covertly again, knowing that she was Sarah? I think he probably would have tried to meet with Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of get that sense as well. Do I know this? No. No. But the fact that he'd been dealing with her for however long it had been and not known that it was her. I think he would have talked to her directly first. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of get that sense as well. I mean, after all, she did save his life. So, mm -hmm. and without any training. Right. <laughs> and then the last of Sarah's confrontations is with Amelia. And I've got to say, when I watched this the first time, I did not know who that actress was. But in the years since, I've basically obsessively been watching Canadian television. And so I'm like, oh, look, it's Noelle from Ricky Blue. Oh, okay. I haven't seen Ricky Blue, but I've heard of it. I always think it's really interesting how immediate and how visceral a reaction that Sarah has to Amelia. Well, maybe visceral is overstating it. But you know, Mrs. S says, this is Amelia. Amelia says, I was your birth mother. And even though Amelia is not Sarah's biological mother, 
she reacts to her kind of regardless as if she were, you know, she, this like, I'd given up waiting for you to come find me. And just, you can see all of her hurt and abandonment come to the surface very quickly, mm-hmm. which I find interesting because I guess in, yeah, but I mean, this is me maybe having the ability to step back and be more logical is I would wonder, okay, if if she's describing her as my birth mother, then who maybe was intended to be my day-to-day mother. Does that make sense? I don't know a better word to say it. <laughs> I don't want to say real mother. That's stupid. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, who was supposed to raise her? Yes, exactly. Because you normally you wouldn't say I was, you know, I was your birth mother unless you're either a surrogate or your child had gone on to be adopted by somebody else. But Sarah still reacts to Amelia as if she had intended to raise her. Mm-hmm. I guess it makes sense in the context of, you know, here's the person who essentially gave her up. No, I, I think it makes sense. But it's just, it's interesting to me because Sarah is introduced to Amelia and Amelia says, I'm your birth mother. I'm not what, you're ex- what you expected, I'm sure. And Sarah's already kind of crying and she responds to her, I gave up expecting. So even before Amelia revealed that she was the one who was responsible for giving Sarah to giving her up to the state. And later, you know, we learned she gave up Helena to the church. Sarah's already really kind of emotional about it. And I just think it's a really interesting scene. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess I'm not really that surprised that Sarah does that because Sarah's been building up to it for 28 years, it sounds like. So... I guess maybe I'm phrasing it badly. I feel like they're giving a scene that's usually reserved between children and their biological parents, and they're giving it to a child and her birth parent, who is not her biological parents. And I find that really fascinating. Ah, yeah. Because usually that's a scene that we get between somebody who was given up for adoption and their biological parent. I guess my take on it is that Amelia is the one who came back, and that's where Sarah's coming from. She's been waiting for somebody to come back for her, it sounds like, to me. Which just kind of makes me all sad for Sarah. I know. Because she's so tough, but clearly, as we've always known, these issues of abandonment, just beneath the surface. But Amelia gives us quite a bit of information in this episode. She reveals that she figured out there was something not quite right in the surrogate arrangement, that there was some sort of experiment going on. And of course, we get the big dun-dun-dun moment. She reveals that Helena is Sarah's twin. And then suddenly you go, oh, of course she is. Because <laughs> all that talk about feeling a we connection, a connection. Yes. suddenly makes sense. And the fact that earlier in this episode, where Sarah says, I look at Helena and I see me. I mean, granted, they're clones, even if they weren't twins, you know, even if Helena was just a, t- a clone, she would look like her. But Sarah has even more of a sense of when I look at Helena, I see me. It feels like. Right. I mean, she never makes that statement about either Allison Any of or the others, Kasima, yeah, or even mm-hmm. Beth. Nope. But, re- you know, revealing that I've, I've said this before, but the fact that Sarah and Helena are twins, but they're also clones just kind of blows my mind. <laughs> Like, but wait. <laughs> they are clones both by by nature and by nurture. <laughs> they they doubled down on the cloning there. 
they did. And that just, ah, yeah, for some reason, it's difficult for me to wrap my head around it. Hmm. I find that interesting. So Alice and Cosima, even though they don't have as prominent a storyline as maybe they got in the previous episode, they still have both really good little storylines in this episode. We we see Alex. Alex? I just combined <laughs> Alex and Felix. <laughs> and I now we know their ship name. <laughs> <laughs> so Allison has most of her storyline with Felix. And I love the montage of her cleaning Felix's apartment. Yes. That is one of the greatest things ever. <laughs> I especially love her cleaning his bathroom and looking away as she scrubs the toilet. That is my favorite part also. <laughs> I laugh my way through that montage. I'm impressed. I'm so like, for some reason, I'm surprised Felix even had a vacuum, but it did look kind of dusty. Like maybe it didn't get much use. And it's not. I mean, it looks like a fairly fancy vacuum, too. Mm-hmm. It does. I'm always kind of like, where did he get that? <laughs> Maybe he makes decent money as a rent boy. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm sure. Or the drug money, but... That's true, the drug money. But yeah. And then, I've, you know, I felt really sorry for Allison. This is probably what some of the most vulnerable we see Allison is in this episode. And I felt sorry for her at the hospital when she just was not, wasn't sure what to do. And then I feel so sorry for her when she's talking to Felix about needing to go back to her house, but being a pariah and not going back there. And she reaches out and she takes his hand and just says, you know, please come with me. And I feel so sorry for Allison in that moment. Right. Because poor Allison just needs a friend. She does. And Felix is tired and doesn't want to deal with her. <laughs> she needs a friend, but instead she has a brother. Mm -hmm. But he rallies. She fetches him something gay, and they go back to her house. Indeed. And Where those are quite the pants. <laughs> yes. Yes. His loud pattern trousers that she picks out for him are are quite, quite striking, which makes me think that she actually did pick out that outfit for him, perhaps. Right. That's always my thought, too, is, is like, those pants are kind of hilarious and awesome. But then... Yes, and, and if... Allison had been told, fetch me something gay, that's totally an item of clothing that, in my mind, she would think filled that request. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, that's where I'm going with this, is that that sort of always makes it better, even. Like, the pants alone are great. But then realizing that Allison picked them out for Felix based on the instructions, fetch me something gay, makes it that much better. Yes. But yes, I could totally see Allison scrutinizing Felix's wardrobe and thinking, okay, what is gay? What is gay? These pants are totally gay. <laughs> oh, Felix and Allison. <laughs> so they, they show up at Allison's house and they realize that Donnie, in fact, is not planning to be away from the house for a couple of hours, but he has in instead gone along with Ainsley and set up an intervention. And I just love the way that Felix introduces himself to the group as, hello, Felix, gay friend. Acting coach. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, it's fine. That's okay here. But which one? <laughs> and now we're just quoting, but you know, it's good stuff to quote. Felix has awesome lines in this episode. I mean, he always has great lines, but some of his most, some of his best, I feel like, are in this episode. Particularly, obviously, the fetch be something gay. <laughs> Allison does bring out excellent Felix lines. 
She does. She really does. So I kind of love during the intervention where, you know, the reverend is encouraging Donnie to be specific about the abuse that he has suffered from Allison. I love seeing her neighbor's reactions to Donnie talking about getting hit in the head with a golf club and getting burned with hot glue. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of a, wait, what? (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) And... I really like the way that Christian Brune says the line, it still hurts in the shower, Allison. <laughs> yep. Poor Allison. And Donnie's mother is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How humiliating. I know. How humiliating. Who invites the mother-in-law of the person for whom the, uh, so awkwardly phrased? Yeah, they, Donnie invited his mother, but... To Allison's intervention... Yeah. Allison's parents were not there, but Donnie's mother was. Makes no sense. And the fact that it was mostly neighbors that Ainsley invited. It was just like, here, come listen to Allison or us air our dirty laundry about Allison, even though, you know, it's it's possible that what's going on with her and her family is none of our business. <laughs> but it's it's the suburbs. And apparently that means that everything that happens is everybody's business. Apparently. According to this show. Apparently. But, you know, Allison it just is so completely humiliated and she runs upstairs and only wants to talk to Felix. I love Felix's very smug little walk that he does toward the bathroom. Yes. When she tells her neighbors he, she only wants to talk to Felix. And he gives her that lovely pep talk about how... She just has to go out there and smile and get through it and... Be a woman about it. <laughs> be a woman about it, indeed. And it's very sweet, and I, and I really like that scene between the two of them. And the great moment where Allison reaches for her pill bottle, and then she gets sort of a scolding look from Felix, and, and she, looks, she looks really afraid that he's going to not let her take them, and then Felix says, Sherzies, which is now something... I say all the time, mostly to you. <laughs> Which is okay. But not about not about drugs, just to be clear no. here. It's not no, about no, no, drugs. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> just about stuff in general. Usually it's about pictures that I find on the internet. Pictures and internet links. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. And I and I also love that Felix thinks that the Reverend is kind of sexy. Yes. <laughs> Man of the cloth and all. <laughs> Oh, and then, of course, the, the intervention resumes and we see Allison just completely tell Ainsley off. And it's fantastic, not only because she makes the comments about how Ainsley blew the roofer at the cabin, but it's just fantastic seeing Allison really stick up for herself and tell her nosy, nosy neighbors that this is not acceptable. Because you know what? It's not. Right. She is intervening the intervention. Mm-hmm. Or something. Right. And I mean, Ainsley, for sure, had reason to be upset with Allison for sleeping with her husband. For sure. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, probably you should be dealing with this with your husband and Allison second. You would think so. And and mm-hmm. also privately. <laughs> yes. Yes. Is how normal people would deal with it. So credit to Natalie Lisinska for how she plays the intervention scene, because even though we're pretty sure that Donnie is Allison's monitor, they really do tease out that Ainsley might also be or might 
be instead. And her reactions when Allison's really going off on how Ainsley's been sort of keeping track of her every move, it really works well as both, is does she look that way because she's actually her monitor, or does she look that way just because she's a nosy neighbor type? So I, I really do like the way that she plays that scene. Right. Because it's always, all of Allison's accusations are kind of met with a a look of confusion mixed with indignance, <laughs> which I think is kind of interesting. And so then we have Kasima's storyline, which also makes me sad. <laughs> Do you have lots of feels about, well, the show? Well, there's just the breakup scene, argument slash breakup scene between Kasima and Delphine is so brutal. It's just, ugh. Even though I'm not entirely sure I trust Delphine, especially when I first watched the show, I still feel really bad for her and for Kasima throughout that entire exchange. Yep. The puppy eyes make everything worse. Yes. The puppy yes. eyes with, in, in combination with the yelling from Kasima. Mm-hmm. Because Kasima's yelling and Delphine's making puppy eyes and it just, it hurts. Everything hurts. And of course, you know, because I... <laughs> I actually had this uh, an exchange on Facebook recently because I posted a link to something on the BBC America's website. And when you do that on Facebook, the image that it automatically gem generates is the promotional image for season two. And in it, Kasima and Delphine are kind of snuggling, I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> They're sitting very close to each other. And I made a comment to the fact in my comments on that post. And one of my friends who's seen the show says the fact that any cuddling could occur after what Kasima says to Delphine is just a miracle to me. And I think that's fair. But at the same time, I think Delphine had to recognize the fact that she did not act in the best way possible either. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that is that is the thing, isn't it? I mean, Kasima was being very harsh. Yes. But it's not Terrible. like she yes. didn't have reason to be super, super pissed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know that she really meant what she said. I think she was just saying that to be super hurtful. But but yeah, it's not like she didn't have cause to be very hurt. I mentioned this before, I think in the Monitors episode, that when Delphine leaves, Cosima starts sobbing. Like, she lets out an audible sound of distress. Yes, and she that, does it before the door somebody closes. somebody might call an ugly cry. It is not a a contained silent weeping she just starts sobbing right and she does it before the door has closed is where i'm going with this so mm -hmm. again i think delphine knows that she's basically responding out of anguish so like i mentioned i tend to watch this these episodes and just get completely absorbed and not really and miss some of the details which is why i made myself take copious notes while i was watching this time and I don't think I really realized the entirety of the exchange that Kasima and Delphine have kind of at the beginning of their fight, where Delphine says to Kasima, you knew that I was your monitor, essentially. You knew that mm -hmm. my cover story was bullshit. And I don't think I really recognize that Delphine kind of admits that, that she knew that, uh, that Kasima knew. That's because you were distracted by Delphine's outfit. I was, Let's be I admit honest. it. She looks really good. But <laughs> so Delphine admits in this episode that 
she kind of knew that Kasima knew. And the thing that I thought was interesting was that Kasima says, yeah, I did know, but I still thought you were on my side. Right. And I guess what made her think that Delphine wasn't on her side was that she reported behind her back to Leaky about knowing the other clones, right? Yes. Because, I, I mean, the impression that I get, at least, is that Cosima was definitely expecting Delphine to be keeping tabs on her, because that's what they knew that the monitors did. I mean, as far as they knew, that was sort of the extent of it. Diagnostic things and whatever. Keeping an eye on them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's that Cosima finds out that Delphine reported back to Leaky about Sarah, right? Right. And so Cosima says as much in the episode, something about, you know, you can use me as much as you want or whatever it is she says, something like that. But stay away from the little girl, yeah. Right. But stay away from Kira. So I think that's the, the big issue again. I mean, here it is, this same episode that starts out with, Allison and Sarah and Mrs. S and Felix being really concerned for Kira. And we find out later too, Kasim also being concerned. But again, it's this protectiveness over Kira, which basically is something all of our protagonists have in common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it is the it's the it's the element of the betrayal of trust, I think is what what really sets Kasim off. And I think she right. says as much, so yeah. And and interestingly, we see her really kicking herself for having that expectation. She's just like, I'm so stupid. Why did I, how did she not, she, she basically says to herself, you know, how did she not know that this was happen, would happen eventually? Right. I, I do kind of wonder, though, I mean, even though Delphine says, I know that you, I knew that you knew that I was, that my, you know, my backstory was kind of made up and was bullshit. Why didn't the Dyad Institute maybe take down that picture of her from their website? <laughs> You'd think they would. Yeah, especially when Leaky's all, go look at our work, you know, check us mm-hmm. out. Because I, I, I watched this time very carefully, and it says at the top, our award-winning research team, or our <laughs> award-winning team. So she's definitely on the Dyad's website. <laughs> yeah, you'd think if they went to so much trouble as to, like, fake a report card with excellent grades, seduction-worthy grades. You'd think they'd go to the trouble of, you know, taking that page down or removing the picture. <laughs> yeah. Because if it just said her name, that'd be one thing. Because she gave a, f- a fake name to Kasima. To Delphine's not the most common name, but still. But the picture, come on. You couldn't have taken the picture off the page. <laughs> Uh, the geniuses can't figure out how to work work the internet. WordPress, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the the other little tidbit we get out of Kasima's storyline was that her colleague reveals the synthetic piece of the clone's DNA that allows them to differentiate between the different clones. So we have the introduction of the idea of the barcode in this scene, or in this episode. Scott, I believe his name is. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I like his reaction to when Delphine kisses Kasima. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, a good reaction. Yes. That actor is very, very, is good at being very nerdy and awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so Mrs. S in this episode, I, I, I really love Mrs. S and her shotgun. <laughs> 
I don't know why, but that just, it totally makes sense for the character. And I love when she pulls out her shotgun. Yep, absolutely. And I also think that she gets a really great line when Paul shows up at the house and she realizes pretty quickly that Sarah's dating this guy. And when Sarah says, oh, you know, this is Mrs. S, she knows everything. And she replies, well, not everything, clearly. <laughs> it is an excellent line delivery there. Maria Doyle Kennedy's Because Mrs. Pretty S awesome. doesn't get, yeah, she doesn't get like a ton of funny moments, but that was a very funny Mrs. S moment. Yep. And a, a perfectly, perfectly reasonable reaction. Because <laughs> really, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. But I think her most fascinating scene is when Amelia is talking to Sarah about her experience with, with her pregnancy and her surrogacy at the end of the episode. And this is really a scene where it takes on her, her, her performance takes on sort of a new meaning when you go back and you watch it again after knowing what we learn in the finale. See, apparently I don't pay enough attention to Mrs. S in this scene. Really? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Because she just looks so guilty when Amelia is talking about her surrogacy. And, like, the thing that always strikes me when Amelia is talking is that clearly this woman was targeted and kind of used because of her status, because she was a an immigrant, because she was probably a woman of color and probably poor. She was really exploited into aiding and abetting this illegal experimentation. And knowing Mrs. S.'s background from being in Brixton and the conflicts that she saw there with the police over race, I bet she just is appalled by that idea that she was even involved in something that would exploit this woman that way. And she just looks so guilty when Amelia is talking about her experience. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, you're right. Because see, I think my issue is that I always spend this scene trying to focus really, really hard on what's being said. Mm hmm. Because I'm like, wait, what happened? <laughs> yeah, we get, we're getting a lot of information. So it's easy to kind of ignore Mrs. S. But I feel like her, her expressions that she has during this scene are very, very pointed and very significant. I think there's also an element of she's maybe thinking that Sarah's going to figure out her involvement any, any minute now, now that Amelia has showed up. Right. I mean, I do think that she... It, it's occurred to me before that she does look a little anxious, I guess, but I hadn't necessarily thought of it as being really guilty. I think she looks so guilty, but maybe that's just me. I'll, I'll pay attention next time. Okay. Just watch or that one scene. Pay better attention. Yeah. Just watch that one scene and just watch Mrs. S and tell me what you think. Will do. So I had just a couple of stray thoughts while I was watching... And the first was that it takes a really long time in this episode before we hear Helena's trademark screech noise. They usually have it in the first scene she she appears in, but I think it's the either the third or fourth scene that Helena's in in this episode until we hear the the Helena screech. But I mean, this episode starts off with Helena in such a vulnerable place, mm -hmm. and then sure. Tomas literally throws her in a cage. So. It's not, Helena's not a threat, because that's sort of Helena's dangerous music. It's true. Though they did put it over, 
like when when Tomas was stitching her up and repairing her wounds. But I think because they try to do a fake out with the subsequent scene when Paul's coming back to the apartment to try to make you think it's Helena. That's partially why they put the Helena screech in that scene. But I just thought it was interesting that it takes so long for us to get that music cue in this episode. Well, to be fair, the the getting stitched up thing, that that was kind of a badass moment anyway, (laughs) because, you know, it's some serious messed up stuff with Helena there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, again, it's it's sort of a horror moment anyway, because of the getting stitched up. So, right. No, it totally makes sense that we don't. And it takes so long for us to hear it. It's just unusual. So I, I noticed it when I was watching this time. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I noticed is that when Helena hugs Sarah, it looks like it's it. Maybe it's her hair was curled because she was being Helena. I, I feel like they probably use a wig, though. But basically, you can see the back of it's probably Catherine Alexandri's head because she's usually the if there's just one clone in a scene, she's usually the only other double there. And and you can see her hair looks kind of curly, and it kind of resembles the curls that are in Helena's hair. But in looking at pictures of Catherine Alexandria, it looks like she is her hair is naturally curly, so they probably straighten it maybe when she's playing Sarah or put her in a wig. But you can see some curls in Sarah's hair. <laughs> I think Tatiana's hair might also be naturally curly, or at least sort of curly. Yeah, I get that sense too, because most of the time when we when you see her in interviews and stuff, her hair's curly. Mm-hmm. Less so recently. It's been straightened a lot recently, but but that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so let us know what you think of Unconscious Selection. We would love to hear your thoughts and your theories about this episode. You can send us those thoughts in a variety of ways. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at TatianaIsEveryone.com. You can send us an email to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com, or you can send us a voice message by clicking on the Send Voice Message tab that's on the right-hand side of the website. You can also find us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. This week, Delphine's puppy dog eyes and Felix's gay outfit were played by Tatiana Masani. Thanks for listening. <laughs>